open your Bibles to the 11th Psalm, Psalm 11, a psalm with seven verses attributed to David, which begins, In the Lord I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bow, they make ready their arrow on the string, that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, his countenance beholds the upright. This psalm provides the basics, basis of our study this morning, a study that involves initially a question, a question related to the time period in which we have just the last few days been involved in celebrating the birth of a nation and the independence that we enjoy. And the question we ask in relation to that time period and through which we've just come, where does this period of time find us as a nation? Where are we today? Can it be said that this nation is primarily a God-fearing nation? Or is it the case that as is expressed in this psalm at a particular time in David's life where he was being greatly persecuted and pursued, many believe, by Saul, the first king of Israel at this time. Can we say, as this psalm expresses, that the foundations are being destroyed? Notice in this psalm we've just read that David was advised to flee, we believe, from Saul, most likely, though it's an unnamed persecution, at the time in which Saul was determined to destroy David's life. And the advice from his friends and counselors was to just simply flee as if forevermore, give up. What can you do? What can you do if the foundations are destroyed? But David thought it would be cowardly to ultimately give up and to flee forevermore. If the foundations are destroyed, verse 3 asks, what can the righteous do? David had a duty to stand for right. And today we live in a nation where thoughtful people are concerned about a tendency toward a breakdown in the moral order and in the social order. And we understand, and it is a scriptural principle, that if the foundations are destroyed in a nation, a nation cannot long exist. And we look around us and we see the condition of public officials and the situation with crime. We see great principles of honesty and righteousness being ignored, being abused. 
And there are many, and rightfully so, who now question the foundation principles in religion and, and politics and, and ethics as to whether or not they can survive. They, they wonder, are these foundation principles uh, eroding at such a rate that they are gone? Because there are those who question those principles, who ignore those principles, who attack those principles. Can we survive? Can we survive as a nation? Can we survive as God's people, as Christians? You've heard the expression, the age of doubt. And there might be some who would characterize the time in which we live as an age of doubt. I don't believe so. I believe we've already come through the age of doubt to a great extent and all the way through the age of denial, and that we're now in the age of destruction. That is, the intent on the part of many in today's world is to destroy every, every semblance of righteousness and morality, to fly in the face of it, and to persecute those who would stand for those principles. In Deuteronomy 6 and verse 12, there was a warning issued by Moses. Beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the house of bondage, brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 3 characterized the hearts of the sons of men at that time as being full of evil, madness is in their hearts while they live, Solomon wrote. Madness is in their hearts while they live. The hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. I don't believe there's any question about the fact that the same thing can be said today of this world in which we live to a great extent. There's no question about the fact that these are indeed perilous times. Listen to what Paul wrote in his time in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. As he looked toward future times. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And then he admonishes, and from such people, turn away. From such people, turn away. Is that an apt description of the world today in which we live? Where even those who claim to know God deny the power of His Word by denying the necessity of complete obedience to it. Let us never forget that the wise man long ago wrote by inspiration that righteousness exalts a nation... But sin is a reproach to any people. 
And that the psalmist penned these words in Psalm 9, verse 17, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. Many of you are very familiar with Edward Gibbon's account of the fall of Rome, and that has been discussed from time to time. But refresh your minds with me about what Gibbons wrote about the fall of that great Roman Empire. An empire that no doubt many, if not most, in that day thought was impregnable. But it was the undermining of the sanctity of the home, Gibbons wrote, that helped to bring Rome down. Is that familiar? It was high taxation and wasteful spending. Is that familiar? It was the mad craze for pleasure. Is that familiar? It was the decay of religion. Is that familiar? And how about this one? The corruption of political leaders. We're in a time when there is less confidence in political leaders than perhaps at any time in our lives. And the polls reflect that reality. Oh yes, all of these things are very familiar. And it brings us then to this question taking us back to the question asked in Psalm 11. What can the righteous do? What can the righteous do in the times in which this 4th of July celebration finds us as a nation? We can remember, first of all, that David did not flee as he was advised to do, but that David put his trust in God. Listen again to verse 4. This is David's response to his advisors. Their words are believed to be the words continuing through verse 3. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? As if to ask, we're in a situation where there's nothing left to do except give up, except to flee. But David's response was, the Lord is in his holy temple, the Lord's throne is is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. God's throne is in heaven. God is still on his throne. He is still our hope of protection. His eyes still see both the righteous and the wicked. As the writer of Hebrews in chapter 13 and verse 6 reminds us, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? It is not a time, nor has it ever been, nor will it ever be a time to run from problems, but rather to face them and to determine to continue to teach the Word of God. Yes, the faith of some has been overthrown. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 19. The solid foundation of God stands. And remember in 1 Corinthians 3.11, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That foundation is still there. 
That foundation will be there for as long as time stands. And the ultimate victory, when time is no more, will belong to God and to those who are God's people, faithful to the end. This is not a time for weakness and doubt. It is not a time to compromise on moral and spiritual, doctrinal issues. It is not a time to capitulate to the change agents among God's people even, who have capitulated, who have compromised, who have wavered in the face of the pressures of the denominational world and the world as a whole. It's sinful to waver. It's childish to be swayed. Remember what James said in James 1.8 about the double-minded man who is unstable in all his ways. And remember the admonition of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 at verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It matters not how extreme the erosion morally may be in a country such as ours or any country. Our work, our labor, is still not in vain in the Lord. And indecision is really a great source of unhappiness, isn't it? But knowing where you stand and knowing with whom you stand is a great source of joy, comfort, and peace. Can we not recall the examples of weakness that we see in Scripture? What about Pilate? As Jesus stood before this Roman authority and Pilate tried to remain neutral in the process and ultimately physically demonstrated that so-called neutrality by washing his hands in the presence of those who were there on that occasion. That did not resolve him of responsibility. And yet he tried to do just that. There are those even among God's people today who are doing just that and straddling the fence as it were. Pilate was just as guilty in his situation as are those today who in their situation are seeking to compromise and straddle the spiritual fence as it were. We look at Peter, great apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet at one time his faith wavered in association with the wrong crowd. And in that crowd and being asked, were you not one of his disciples? Didn't we see you with him, etc.? He denied the Lord. But thanks be to God, he did not stay down. Peter repented and reminds us that if a man falls, he need not stay down. But do as Peter did, and repent, and resume your work for the Lord in an even more determined fashion. The wise man in Proverbs 1.10 advised this, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Do not consent. You've heard the old expression, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. We must take our stand 
with God. We must understand and appreciate that despite the pressures, we do not need a new gospel for a new age. I was so disappointed just recently to receive a response from a viewer to Good News Today. And it said something to this effect, I ran across your show and I just had to write to defend the gospel against your teaching about the essentiality of baptism, is what he was in effect saying. I just had to write to defend the gospel. That really disturbed me. I mean, I understand the dominant position among the denominational world that baptism has nothing to do with one's salvation. But when you see it like that, again, it's just a stark reminder of the tragedy that exists spiritually in the world in which we live. And then he admonished us to read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's what he wanted us to read. And I guess he didn't want us to read the next verse, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. How sad it is that there are so many who will base a doctrine on passages taken out of context, as this man has done, and fail to understand and appreciate the need to read on, and while denying works in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, ignoring the affirmation of works, certain kinds of works, that are very clearly set forth for us in verse 10 of Ephesians 2. Works that God prepared. What works are denied by Paul in this passage in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Works of the law of Moses are works by which we would earn salvation. But all works eliminated? No. Is baptism a work? Absolutely. Of the law of Moses? Absolutely not. Of my own merit? Absolutely not. A work that God has prepared? Absolutely. Absolutely. But what kind of work is it? A work of faith. A work by which we show our faith. And how sad it is that so many do not see that. But here's something even sadder. Those who once believed what I have just expressed about the essentiality of baptism as a part of God's plan for saving man and who have taught it and even preached it are now denying it and have capitulated to the salvation by faith only false doctrine. It is not the time to waver. It is not the time for weakness. It is not the time to emulate the denominational world, but to continue compassionately and lovingly to teach people out of denominationalism and to bring them to a joyous realization that there is a church patterned after the New Testament, the church of the New Testament, that exists today and into which all men and women of accountable age must come by obedient faith, including baptism, in order to one day be saved eternally. May God give us men to fill the gap.
like Joshua of old, who said, you make a choice for yourselves this day, in Joshua 24. You can choose to serve the gods that are false gods, or you can choose to serve the God of heaven, in effect, to paraphrase Joshua. But he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. May God give us men like Joshua of old and like Abraham, men of faith, who by faith when he was called to go out to a place which he would receive for an inheritance, he went out not knowing where he was going. But he knew he was going by God's direction. Because Hebrews 11.10 said, He waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham knew the foundation of God's city was secure. And Abraham knew that if all else failed in the world, God's promise would never fail. And we need men of faith like David, about whom we're reading in this 11th Psalm. We need men who are loyal leaders like Josiah, of whom it is said in 2 Kings 22 and verse 2 that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David. And listen to this. And did not turn, did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. He stayed right with the will of the Lord. We don't need liberalism, we don't need radicalism, we need to be right. I've always said, I don't want to be, I don't want to be radical, I want to be right. I want to be right. And the Bible tells us how we can be right. As Jeremiah admonished in Jeremiah 6, 16, that we ask for the old paths and walk therein, where is the good way. People have lost confidence in the nation's leaders to a great extent. Let me read you a statement from the late J. Edgar Hoover and what he said about the nation in his time. Something has happened to the moral stamina of America, he wrote. People, for the most part, commit crime because they do not have the moral stamina and the traits of character to withstand it. Have things improved since that long-ago statement was made? Or is that statement one that, in fact, has gone to seed in terms of its truthfulness and application? God's people need backbones, not wishbones. Many, as we said, are going along with everything. And we have to have the backbone spiritually to stand because we are citizens, if we're Christians this morning, in an unshakable kingdom, Hebrews 12, 28. Our hope is sure. Our hope is steadfast. And our faith can overcome the world. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? We can say with David, regardless of what happens, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. 
His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. Truth is still truth. Right is still right. Whether or not everyone in this world denies it, it'll still be right. Truth will still be truth. And that truth, the Word of God, will still face every one of us in the judgment. The Lord tests the righteous, Psalm eleven five. but the wicked and the one who lo- loves violence his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. If the Lord is on our side, and he will be if we're on his, then we will win the final victory. Because the solid foundation of God stands. Again, 2 Timothy 2, verse 19. Here's the question, though, with which we close that is so vital, and that is how do we get on the Lord's side? Do we get on the Lord's side, as the gentleman believes who wrote the good news today, to defend the gospel as he sees it by praying a prayer or by obeying what the Lord has taught in his will? Believe with all of your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That is the beginning point, no question about it. And unless we do that, we will die in our sins, as we have often quoted John eight twenty four. That's what Jesus said. But he also said, repent or perish, Luke thirteen three. Peter on Pentecost told those who believed to repent and be baptized. Confession comes before that baptism, however, as we sweeten our lips with a confession that leads to a commitment and that confession being, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then, then having believed, manifested that belief through our repentance, our change of mind, and a determination to change our actions, and the sweet confession we have made, then we're ready to complete our obedience. And until we do, and unless we do, we're still outside of the Lord, and we are still not on the Lord's side. Because the Scripture makes it abundantly clear that all who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, as Paul wrote to the Roman Christians. We were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we rise to walk in newness of life. The newness of life, according to Scripture, cannot begin. We cannot be on the Lord's side until we have come forth from that watery grave, not cleansed by the water, but by the blood that is applied there. And that's made abundantly clear, both in precept and by example in the book of Acts, for example. All those beautiful examples of conversion all culminate, all culminate with being buried in baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Why? Because that's where God has chosen to place the blood of His Son. And without the blood of His Son, there is no forgiveness. And without being baptized, we cannot reach the blood of His Son. That's why Jesus summarized it so beautifully and so clearly when he said, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Mark 16, 16. If you haven't done those things, you're not on the Lord's side. And if you're not on the Lord's side, 
you have no hope of sharing in the final victory that will be his despite what this nation does or where this nation goes or what its ultimate end may be and when that end may come. But until you've done those things, you cannot share in the final victory. And for those who've done those things, but know, but know that you have gone back into the world, into religious error, into worldliness, whatever it is that has drawn you away from what you once loved and obeyed, to be on the Lord's side again, you must come home. In repentance, confession publicly of sin, just simply saying, I have sinned. I'm coming home. Lord, I'm coming home, as we often sing that hymn. I've wandered far away. I'm coming home. And the Lord waits to welcome you home and to have you once again on his side where you once were so that you can be a part of those who with confidence say with David, the Lord's throne is in heaven. The Lord is in his holy temple. And we need every worker in the kingdom we can possibly have to engage in the fight, in the challenge that faces us as God's people. But let us take that challenge on with confidence and courage as David did because we know that indeed, if we're on the Lord's side, he's on ours, and ultimately, the victory is his, and therefore ours as well. For all those who need no response at all this morning, though you look around and see what is happening in a nation at this particular time of the year when we celebrate the Independence Day, the birth of the nation, and yet you recognize, as has already been expressed by Foster in his prayer this morning, that we're way off track. Who is it that can influence this nation to be back on track? God's people. God's people. Therefore, don't flee. Don't flee. Fight. If you need to respond, come now as we stand to sing.